Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, coming out of the break. Of course, the biggest news of the day, Bryce taking a leave of absence from the Montreal Canadiens for personal issues, part of the NHL, NHLPA assistance program. Wish him nothing but the best. Hopefully he can look after what he needs to do. And no question in today's world, Justin, that uh, these players now, I think, don't even have to feel, I think, the pressure that probably we had in our era to come back and and deal with stuff. Of course, we were able to kind of keep things under wraps in, in a certain era, but it's almost as if that you can't anymore, right? It's, it's too hard with the phones and the, and the text messages and it's better to come out, I think in, uh, and, and the way Carrie's done it and the way the PA's done it, at least it'll, it'll make you feel a little better that you don't have to rush back. Mm-hmm. And you know, b- between the ultimate exposure to the negative side of fandom, like, you know, h- how much you hear or see on, on Twitter and all the other places is different. Um, but also, I think just like seeing what guys went through uh, in previous eras and how it affected them as they got older, not dealing with this stuff when they were younger and the long-term harms it could have on them and their families. And, you know, his uh, his wife put out a nice statement about being able to, you know, Kerry showing up for his kids, taking care of his business when he had a problem and doing the, the right thing. And it's, it's, they're setting a good example for a lot of people. So I think we're making progress here. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And you know, the, the one thing though, that uh, unfortunately for a lot of players who may be, uh, you know, in a situation that, you know, not apples to apples, it's, it's Kerry price and the Montreal Canadians will wait as long as they, they need to. And you, you'll always assume that he'll have his spot waiting for him. But there's a good point, Justin, of players, unfortunately, that would feel like I can't give up my spot. I, I, if I lose it, somebody else mm-hmm. replaces it. And it's – I'm not Carey Price. I'm not, I'm not having an open invitation to go back and, and get my job. And that, that doesn't change in any era, does it? No, it gets a lot harder when you're at the fringes of the roster, for sure. Um, you know, you talked earlier about your role as like a you know lower line guy where you have to kind of get along and the team bonding is on you to show that you're there for people. Everything is, is more challenging the farther you get from superstardom for a lot of these guys. So, um, But hopefully seeing that the superstars know they're showing it's okay to do this, you know, take care of yourself as Drewan did as well. Uh, hopefully those guys still feel like they'll have the, the leeway to do that. Less than a week for the Toronto Maple Leafs to have their first regular season game. We saw the lines at practice, Justin, and do we feel like we're closer to seeing Sheldon Keefe and, and where he has guys slotted? And we believe now that that Bunting, who's had as good as any training camp probably in the last few years of any player to come in and, and, and get noticed and, and make a statement uh, it appears he's in the bottom six 
of of his lineup, and we'll see how it shapes up by next Wednesday. But I'm okay with it. I, I really yeah. believe that that's that's a good spot for him right now, and may not end up there. Uh, but I think again, you know how I feel. A guy like Bunting can draw a lot of guys into the fire on that bottom mm-hmm. six. I think it also goes to show, like, right now, the line, you know, we had the Richie Matthews-Marner line. They had Mikheyev-Tavares-Kasha today. So Mikheyev playing on Tavares' left side. Is there anything more validating for the idea that the squeaky wheel gets the grease than Ilya Mikheyev playing over Bunting, who went out there, potted three, drove some people crazy? They're like, nope, it's Mikheyev's spot on the second line with Tavares. It just, sometimes you got to advocate for yourself and say, I'm not happy with my role. I think I deserve a better spot or, or more time. Like, otherwise, what validation is there for Mikheyev being in that spot right now? I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, and I think I think it was one of those wow days for Kyle Dubas, uh, when he either got a call from McKayev himself or his agent mm-hmm. to say, get me the heck out of here. I think, I think, I think Kyle was kind of taken back by it because they, they really like him and they really, really value him. And they think that he can play a big part. Uh, but I do believe though, if, if it gets to the point where he's not off to a great start and he gets he he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, and he finds himself some nights make uh, playing eight or ten minutes. He ain't going away with those demands. He's if 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 you rock the boat once, there's the real potential that he'll rock the boat again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, did, did you ever do it? Did you ever go ask for more from uh, a GM or coach? Oh my gosh, uh, my my first my first chance of coming out of a contract, I wanted a one-way deal and I'm in training camp and I've got no contract. And again, the term bet on yourself was just not uh, recently uh, invented. (laughs) No, 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 no. I went to training camp. I had no contract. I, uh, I took out insurance myself. And I went through the whole training camp, and David Poyle was dead set against me a two-way deal. And my agent uh, at the time, uh, the late Harry Francis, says, go downstairs, pack your bag, and make sure everybody sees you. And I'm like, really? Are you nuts? (laughs) Are you nuts? He says, no, do it. And I went down, I uh, pulled the, my bag out of my stall, and I put uh, my equipment in. Uh, I grabbed sticks, and I made my way to the parking lot. I believe my agent was talking to David Poyle and said, uh, Nick's gone. And they, within, uh, I think, five or six hours, I got my one-way contract. You bluffed him out. Well, I didn't bluff him I out. I was, I was dead in the <laughs> yeah. water, man. I was like sweating bullets. I'm going home. I just, I lost my job. I'm like, I'm going to fire my agent. What is happening here? Yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe, 
maybe he's calling their bluff. Maybe Mikhailov's sitting there going, okay, I'm forcing you right now, and maybe it's going to be the best thing. And maybe he did speed up the process. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic sometimes uh, of, of playing, you know, and I'm not going to say a game of chicken or who's bl- – mm-hmm. Bluffing, you better be willing to go all the way. That's that's the whole point of it in all of this. And Mikhailov, you know, if it was anybody else, tell me this, Justin. If it was anybody else, if it was a guy perceived to being maybe a little bit uh, more unliked, how would it have gone mm-hmm. asking for a trade and still still being a part of the team? Because uh, there's other players that if they demanded a trade – uh, they would be looked upon a little differently than Mikhailov right now, right, Mikhailov? Mm-hmm. Do, don't you think? Uh, yeah, he's yeah, likable. You know, it's almost like he's... the it's almost like the language thing helps him a little bit. You know, like he can't say anything that really rubs anyone the wrong way. Right now, though, I think there's an understanding amongst players that seems to be like you know the the whole get the bag thing for these a lot of these younger guys. Like they want to see one another getting paid. And Mikheyev is a guy who's making, you know, less than what he's probably worth and less than what he's going to earn next year. I wonder if one of the, some of these guys don't just look at the situation and go, I get it. You know, like for what this guy provides, for what he's getting paid, I understand some of the frustration. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe you guys are less considerate. And they're like, hey, listen, you're, you made a deal. Go, you know, show up and play the role you're asked to play. But I don't know. I feel like now it's a, it seems to be all these guys rooting for one another to get their money, although there's yeah. a salary cap. Well, and Mikheyev will we think start with Tavares and and then there's that in that internal pressure of, of playing with Tavares. Tavares likes his cookies. Tavares is a point getter. You, you want to pass the puck over to him and have it blow up like a grenade. <laughs> you don't want that too many times because no. then, then Tavares is sitting there looking over his shoulder at, at Sheldon going, um, okay, I've, I've had, just about enough and I say this and you tell me if, if you heard this too that early in in uh, Zach Hyman's uh, tenure with the Leafs th- there wasn't a lot of love to play with this guy right and you know the perception was he was more of a third line guy and he couldn't score he couldn't finish and Certain guys would go, okay, I, I need more skill. I want more skill. And all this guy, guy did was work his ass off right. and put himself in a position by the end of uh, his contract that people were screaming he has to, he has to stay. He, you know, he's got it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. No, for sure. You know that uh, that game, that drill that guys do in practice? Not a drill, but like at the end of practice, they'll do every player on the team tries to score on the goalie. They all just huddle around the net and everyone tries to put the one puck in and then they go for a skate after to finish it off. I'm watching this drill. It's one of my first days uh, working with the Marlies and Hyman is fairly new. He had just come over. And the whole team is standing around the net. Willie Nylander and, you know, like NHL guys like Mark Arcabello and guys that have at least been around. And Hyman picks up a puck and he wraps it and stuffs it into the goalie's shin pad. And then he stuffs it into the leg pad again, stuffs it into the pad. There's the whole team out there to pass to. And Hyman's got his head down, stuffing it into the pillows. And Dubas looks at me and goes, yeah, it's kind of a problem. 
that's this guy's what he, where he came from. That was his reputation. You're right. He wasn't a guy that was known yeah. for nose around the net and offensive skill. So, you yeah. know, maybe Mikheyev can find that. It's not everyone yeah. does, but Hyman sure did. The, the other thing too is uh, I think, I think, uh, and it's kind of twofold with uh, with Babcock because let's face it, we know that Babcock always liked. Uh, uh, a lunch pail type of guy with maybe two two of his stars. He was never really a guy to load up uh, with all the talent on one line. But it was almost as if there was a, a real small... Uh, the, the goalposts were pretty narrow on what he wanted out of Zach Hyman. And I think the frustration mm-hmm. sometimes for even maybe a Matthews or a Marner was the, the dump and chase and then... Uh, you know, Zach going in there and creating all types of havoc. And then once Babcock kind of left and Sheldon came in, I really found Zach now less handled the puck. And I can even take it wide and and drive Mm -hmm. to the net. And I think he's had a couple of really nice goals that we didn't see earlier in his career. And, and that, that to me turned him into a complete player that he had the confidence to think that he was good enough to be, on the number one line, thanks to Babcock. But then when Sheldon came, it took him over the top to develop his skills to have that more puck possession. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some frustration early on uh, from, you know, Matthews martyr types just being like, we had the puck. Why is he dumping it in again? That's great. He can get it back. But, like, just give it to us and we'll keep it. Uh, He obviously brought his game a, a long way from where he started out. Louis DeBrusque will be joining us momentarily, a hockey analyst with Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada. Of course, he covers the Edmonton Oilers and Zach Hyman. So we'll get his thoughts on uh, the expectations. We got him, Kipper. And you shall receive on the Real Kipper and Bourne show. Let's welcome in Louis DeBrusque. Louis, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, guys. How are you today? We are good. We are good. Uh, <laughs> All our listeners, listen, with Connor, Connor, Connor out there, but here there's still a little bit of Hyman, Hyman, Hyman <laughs> in conversations, and and we lost them. And what have what are the Oilers getting so far from what they've been able to see out of Zach Hyman? Yeah, I can understand that too, Kipper. You know, listen. You know, anybody that puts the hard helmet on like Zach Hyman does and goes to work every night, it just seems the fans just, you know, love those types of players. And he adds a little bit of skill and a lot of skill in certain situations, and it just makes a player that are hard to come by in the league. So you can see why Ken Holland was pretty aggressive, wanted to sign Zach Hyman. They gave him a big deal because those dimensions brought into the Oilers is something that was lacking for them. And, you know, puck possession, puck retrievals, that size in front of the net, scoring goals around the net, those garbage goals, as you like to like to call them, um, those are so important. But I also think in different situations in the game, too. And there's there's been no secret that the Oilers have relied so heavily um, on the shoulders of McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Nurse. You know, their core is pushed to the max every single year and probably more than Dave Tippett wants to use them each and every game. When you add in a Zach Hyman, throw him into the mix, you know, a Warren Fogle comes into the mix, into the top nine. Uh, Derek Ryan, who's a crafty two-way centerman, a smart player that plays on the defensive side as well as the offensive side. You're injecting some veteran guys, bigger guys, and Hyman and Fogle especially, that can just work the walls. And 
working the walls means you have the puck more often when you get that puck into the hands of the skilled players that Edmonton has it becomes so important and you know the fans in Toronto have seen it you know what Zach Hyman did with the likes of Marner with Matthews you know not easy to do playing with that elite of players to be able to carve out that niche and be the guy that goes to work pounds the corners digs out pucks four checks um, but also on the defensive side of things too so I think that's what they're getting. That's what they wanted. That's what they needed. And that's why they went out and signed him to a big deal. So how is uh, Zach Hyman going to be different for Connor McDavid than the types of wingers he's had over the the past few years? You know, it's not like he's going to be a a dish or give and go partner or anything like that. But uh, I imagine Hyman, even, even though that's not his natural gameplay, he'll still be one of the best wingers that McDavid's had. No, I agree, Justin. Here's the thing, like, McDavid's had a revolving door of wingers that have come through and, and tried to play with him, and he's played well with them all, let's face it. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but I think I could play with McDavid even a little bit <laughs> yeah. as poor of a hockey player as I was. I mean, the guy's so good, he's going to make you better when you play with him, and he can pretty much handle it by himself, but I think that that's taxing. Over the course of a year, you look at that heavy lifting that he has to do in a game, same with Leon Dreisaitl, and you rely on those guys so heavily that by the end of the year, we've seen it in the playoffs. It's it, it's a different game again, and I think there's not as much left in the tank as they would like. So I think with, with Zach Hyman, the difference for him is going to be that he's identified his role. He's comfortable with his role. He knows exactly what he has to do. And he plays off a of really skilled player, so he's not going to try and do the same thing. He's not going to try and be a player he's not. He's going to go to the areas he needs to go to to create space, create room for those offensive players to move and, and, and do things with a puck. But at the same time, he has those quick hands in front, scores a ton of goals right around the net. And that's vital. You know, Patrick Maroon had a 29-goal season playing with Connor McDavid. And very similar in the sense, Hyman's a better skater. Yes, I know, has better hands. Maybe. I mean, listen, Patrick Maroon has pretty darn good hands. He's won three Stanley Cups in a row. Mm-hmm. But that type of a, a presence around the net, when, when McDavid, when Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, these guys are starting to fly around with the puck in the offensive zone, you have to have players that are willing to go to those tough areas, the traffic, still have a stick available and make a play and score a goal on tight. Both Fogel, I believe, and Hyman are going to provide that for the Oilers this year. Um, Big bodies that are taking up space and creating a havoc. Louis, with the signing of Zach Hyman by Ken Holland, it was really twofold. One, to give Connor, you know, life, new, new life. But it was also to lock in Nugent Hopkins with Dreisaitl, correct, in that top six. So really, for me... The, the two wild card here for the Edmonton Oilers are Pooley RV and Yamamoto. And yep. I got to think from what I've seen with Pooley RV's progression here is that uh, he's come a long way and mm-hmm. he's, he's turned, he's turned himself into a pretty good player. How much more room, how much more growth is there? And can Yamamoto really, really, solidify that top six he's a little banged up right now kipper and he won't play tonight they're gonna have kyle turris on that second line with zach hyman actually they're gonna split up um that second line combination uh, of nugent hopkins drysdale yamamoto with yamamoto being out it's going to be nugent hopkins that goes to center drysdale is going to play up with mcdavid so dave tippett 
already early on in the game the other night, they were down 3 nothing to the Flames going into the um, third period, and they loaded up the top line. Fourth line got them going with a goal by Perlini, but they need that depth. They have to have that flexibility to be able to shuffle things around because you know he's always going to load up McDavid and Dreisaitl when he needs to get things done. And that's a weapon that he's always going to use, and he's not going to say sorry for it, and I wouldn't either. If I had those two guys, the, the best dynamic duo in the league, I'm going to use them. But the consistent has been Pugliarvi on that right side with McDavid. Last year was the the test for him and probably the longest that any right wingers played with McDavid for the duration of a year. It was a shortened season, but he stuck it out on that right side. He's come in poised and looking like he's going to have a breakout year. You know, you know, Brian Burke used to always say when a player pops, you can just see that that player is is taking that next step and wants it real bad. And you can see it in their eyes. You can see the way they're playing. They have a drive and a hunger to get things done. That's what I see from Yessa Pugliarvi this year. It's It's been a pretty remarkable turnaround, to be honest with you. I didn't see it. I didn't expect him to come back in a second stint and have the progression that he's had. But he is a massive frame tipper. He's big. He's a big body that can move. His skating is excellent after having hip surgeries. He looks 100% healthy, and he has a real shooter mentality. He knows how to get to that spot. And when he puts his legs out and drives into a spot, he takes up so much space. He's just a real hard guy to handle. And he did a little bit of boxing in the offseason, too. So he's trying to work on that physicality, that, that kind of, you know, rough stuff that he's going to engage in because of the way he plays and he wants to be able to back it up so i think he's going to have a big year personally and then yamamoto again not the biggest of frame but i mean what he what he lacks in size he makes up for an energy and bite it's just you know he's just a you know a thorn in your side all game long he's just as relentless on the puck and that's the way he has to play when he's on top of his game there's so many little things that he does that you know go unnoticed at times but He's a huge part of that second line when it's when it's Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. He's an energy guy. He turns pucks over with that speed and tenacity. So it will be important for him to try and sustain that for an 82-game schedule. And I guess that's going to be the big question. Being an undersized player that plays as hard as he plays, injuries are going to be part of it. How much are they going to be a part of it? Hey, hold on, yeah. Justin. I, yeah, yeah, I, I hope ahead. he hire, hire you for the boxing uh, lessons. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? But I love it. I love seeing that. To be honest with you, you know what? Uh, I like it when guys get out of their comfort zone, when they start to do things they understand are going to be a part of the game. And, you know, I, you know, Darnell Nurse is a guy that trains MMA. He wants to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, even if it's not for the fighting aspect of it. It's for the confidence aspect of it. If you're going to play an abrasive, hard style, and you're going to get into some scrums and pushes and shoves, you took a few shots last year. And anytime there was a scrum, guys were taking some liberties on him. This is a six foot five, like big human being. If he wants to start throwing his weight around and throwing punches eventually, look out. Because I just I think it's a good skill to have. I really do. And if I don't if you only ever have to use it once or twice a year, so be it. If you don't have to use it any times during the year, but having the confidence that you can do that, I, I, I like it. I really like the the mindset going into that for a polyarty. As long as he doesn't lose that charming smile and love for the game, that you know, you don't, I don't want to see him become a villain. I love, I love the goofball hey, aspect. Hey, hey, watch that tongue too. You know what? You're rolling that <laughs> you tongue around. Careful. You know what? I was always so afraid. I don't know about you, Kipper, but I was like, you know, your tongue's always that. You get hit in the chin. Bye, bye, tongue. It's coming you know, off. Like, it's, you know, like, I don't know. That's the Michael Jordan tongue, right? But uh, yeah. I'll tell you what. I uh, 
no, listen, he's he's a character, and I and I really appreciate the way he's come back in. Listen, it wasn't didn't look too good. It almost looked like he wasn't even going to come back to the Oilers. He wanted to be traded. He wanted to go somewhere else and have an opportunity. And I credit Ken Holland and you know the management staff and for for convincing him to come back in. Dave Tippett, you know, putting him in a position to succeed and sticking with him. And I'm telling you, there's a player there. There's a there's a really good player there and a player that's going to be hard to play against. Louis, uh, a big theme. Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Nick. Justin. No, no, no. Uh, a big theme coming into today is Bond uh, and the beauty of you outside of the Edmonton Oilers is your next player. You tell me, uh, bonding, I, I like it, but to me, bonding all season long, especially with the, the lessons that you learn on the ice and discuss them off the ice, but a little overrated for you to go away for two or three days and I don't know, paintball. <laughs> you know what? I think honestly, and I have a kid that plays too, that, you know, just from firsthand accounts from him, that was the most difficult thing for the teams. I think is the fact that you know what it's like and you're right. I agree with you a hundred percent Kipper that during the season, that's when you really bond because you're going through the emotion of the highs and lows of a season there's going to be great games. There's going to be bad games. There's going to be horrible games where everybody experiences it. And you have to dig yourself out of that and work forward to being a better team. And that's how you really bond when you're, when you're out there battling every night for each other. But I do believe because of the situation the last couple of years, with what these players have gone through, playing in a bubble, number one, playing in a moving bubble last year, essentially number two, it's not a bad idea. I, I, don't, I don't mind it. I mean, I, I've played on teams where that's happened. I don't think there's anything wrong with ever making a team closer and and tighter. I think that you can never have too much of that. I think that uh, if you're willing to give it a try, you have the schedule, you have the time to do it, go out and do something fun, get your mind off the game for a bit. Uh, I don't mind it. But I agree with you. You really are going to bond during the year. But I think teams are really trying to take advantage of the fact that you are allowed to be together now. You're allowed to do things socially together. So get out there and reintroduce yourself because for the last couple of years – it's been pretty simplified, and it's been difficult on the players really getting to know their, their teammates. Mm-hmm. Louis, the other uh, aspect of this Edmonton Oilers team that's very different and interesting to me is Adam Larson and Ethan Bear out, Cody Ceci yeah. and Duncan Keith in. Are they better on defense? I think they're definitely better up front. What, what do you make of the changes on the back end? Yeah, and that'll be the question, too. I think Adam Larson's going to be a hard guy to replace. And so if you look at it, you say, okay, well – you know, Duncan Keith, Caleb Jones, that's an upgrade, no question for me, no-brainer. I know he's he's no spring chicken anymore, but just the experience that he has and how he plays, I'm not worried about him. He'll find his game, and he's going to solidify that second pairing. Um, Cody Ceci's a guy that kind of found his game last year, I thought, and started to play, you know, just the way that he has to be successful in the National Hockey League. And, you know, he was a first-round draft pick, uh, you know, high expectations, um, he's played on Canadian teams before. He understands the pressure cooker that it can be. For him, I think it's just a simplified role. He doesn't have that physical tenacity necessarily that um, Adam Larson has, but he has it in him to play that way. And there was you know, some good situations like that the other night that I saw. I think Duncan Keith ran around for his first game. You know what, listen, he hasn't played in a while. You've got to give him a little bit of time to get back into it. For Cody CC, though, he has to use that size, use that skating ability to be a solid shutdown guy and just simplify, and he's going to be totally fine. I do believe it's an upgrade. I think it's an upgrade when you look at the two young defensemen that come out of that mix. 
You've got a guy that's won Stanley Cups. He's won gold medals. He's won Norris Trophy. I mean, this guy, you know, he's done it pretty much all in his career in Duncan Keith. And Cody CC. if you're going to take him out for Ethan Bear, that's 400 games in the NHL. That's a seasoned veteran player. So just by numbers alone, I think that he's an improvement. But only time will tell him. We'll see when the season starts. Louie, i got to be honest with you. I, I watched Anel Nurse, and there's no question we knew he was going to get a great contract. But when I heard $74 million over eight years, I, I think I fell off uh, a chair. And it's, it's one thing to ask for it, Louie, and there's another thing to live up to it. Is, is he ready? You know... By all accounts, it looks like he is, and that's the one thing he's always been able to do is just you never have to worry about Darnell being ready and prepared to play. That's for sure. I mean, he's just a, he's a specimen. You know, there was a drill early in training camp. You know, the first couple of days we're sitting there watching. There was a skating drill, and everybody raved about McDavid leaving everybody in the dust in that drill, and he did, as he usually does. He's the night. You remember that? You'd have to skate laps around. You're hoping you never get in the group with McDavid because you're going to be chasing the Greyhound all the time but you know what darnell nurse left people in the dust too in the second section he was that almost that much ahead of people as a defense and skating forward he's just a terrific athlete and yeah I, I agree with you kipper listen i saw that number i was like wow that is a huge number but to be honest with you he's worked himself into that position he was in a position of power negotiating that deal which you know, I think teams can maybe learn a little something from that you sign that deal a year or two earlier and you're getting him for how many millions a year cheaper? You know, like you start to let a player develop and grow and get into that position where they have that position of power. And you know what? He signed a big, big ticket. Does he have the game to live up to it? We'll see. I think he's improved every year, and that's the positive. Every single year that he's come into the league, he's, he's made improvements at aspects of his game. And, and that, to me, is the most important thing. You have to continue to improve and get into that position. And I, we'll see. I mean – it's a big, big number. I agree with you, but that's that's the way it goes when you want to sign players that are unrestricted free agents at the end of the year and can walk and you want to keep them. You've developed them. He's their number one defenseman. I don't think they can let him go, and they had to pay big to keep him. Uh, last one for me, Louis. Uh, back into the Pacific Division now that the North Division is gone. Uh, what are your thoughts on teams around there? You like how Edmonton is stacked up? Uh, I guess I should also ask you if you think Seattle is going to be any good, just sort of as an addendum to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I've watched Seattle play a couple of times. I like the players they went out and got. I think they've got a real nice mix, but it's it's kind of hit or miss, I think, with any expansion team. There's been teams, obviously Vegas kind of set a template that I think everybody would like to try and follow, but it's going to be very difficult to do so. But they will be competitive. There's going to be guys that are, you know, put into situations where maybe they were down depth in, in a certain organization. They're forced into the limelight in that top role with the with the Seattle team. So it gives them a, a fresh lease on life and an opportunity to prove that they can do a job. So I think there'll be a lot of motivation, and because of that, you're going to have a real competitive team. Um, I like how Edmonton stacks up, though, to get back to your question, Justin. You know what? Listen, I this is a team that over the last couple of years has been one of the better teams in the National Hockey League in the regular season. There, there's just no denying that. And uh, and now it's the next step is uh, trying to carry that over into the postseason. You have to get there first. You have to play game one through 82, make it into the playoffs, and then try and do some damage. But I think for the Edmonton Oilers right now, 
they're a team that looks at their, their year this year and only is looking to make the playoffs and take a step into the second round. They have to get by that first round or else it won't be a successful year as far as they're concerned. All right, Louie, this is the last one for me. And uh, I really like this one because we have it all covered here on Real Kipper and Born. You got me, old school. You got you, kind of middle Louie. And then we got the young buck with the initials JB on this one. Last night, Rangers and Devils. And we see... P.K. Subin going hard on Ryan Reeves. And certainly the Rangers didn't like that and made that abundantly clear on P.K. Subin. And sure enough, like you could read the tea leaves, Chris Kreider (laughs) starts chasing P.K. Subin. And as I'm watching this, I'm going, okay, I get it from the Rangers. But since we were on that whole bonding kind of theme, I'm watching the reaction of the New Jersey Devils. And there isn't a guy, and you could see it coming and you can hear it coming. And not one guy goes up to P.K. Subban or cuts off Crowder or anything. But, you know, it, it looked like they just stood around and going, I hope P.K. is going to be okay here because that kind of looks like it hurts. And I'm like, where? Like, I know the game has changed, Louie and and JB, but enough to just roll out the red carpet for for your for still your best defenseman, your nine million defenseman to to take free shots. Like, where, where is where is that for the New Jersey Devils? Well. I can tell you they better get on board because there was a reason they went out and got Ryan Reeves in New York. They bolstered that lineup. They didn't like what happened, obviously, with Washington last year and Tom Wilson. Um, so they're, it's coming back in the game. You look at what happened in Florida with Tampa Bay the other night. I mean, that game got a little bit out of control. There was stuff going on all over the place. Sam Bennett's running goaltenders. I mean, it's going old school. So I think the intensities in the game when they ratchet up like that, the teams that are going to be successful are the teams that are going to stick together. And I'm not I'm not talking about dropping the gloves and fighting. Listen, if you want to do that, great. I'm all for it. I think it's awesome. If you want to go that far, and I still think it's a part of the game, but I agree with you, Kipper. There better be the dog pile afterwards. You better all come in there. And I'll go back to that Tampa Bay-Florida game. Every single time, it was almost like it was back in the 80s when everybody dropped their gloves when somebody was fighting. <laughs> you knew there was going to be a, a you know, Another fight that started up probably because somebody didn't like something somebody did, and they had to make the rule where guys, the second fighter, getting kicked out of the game because of it. But you don't have to drop your gloves, but certainly get in there. You know what? I don't think any guy should take any any punishment from the opposing team and not have to go through all five guys on the ice, four guys on the ice, respectively. That's something they're going to have to figure out. If they're going to want to be successful, especially in that division, then they're going to have to learn that quickly because you're not going to win if you don't. Yep. No, I, I'm uh, with you guys there. I just think it's uh, telling sometimes uh, who, which players see their teams come to, to come to the rescue really quick. Uh, there are certain players who accidentally do a, do things a lot, whether that be uh, PK Subban or Corey Perry or Brendan Gallagher or whatever. Uh, I find that uh, teams stand up for for the guys like Brendan Gallagher when he makes his accidents. I think it's. Uh, 
you know, PK didn't seem to have a lot of help there for whatever reason. Not a great look from the team uh, on that one for sure. So I'm with you, yeah. Kipper, even though I'm the young guy, would like to see some help. You know, and, that's a little different. That's a different conversation, though, too, and I agree with you, Justin. You know, there's certain players that, for I mean, there's a lot of talk, you know, about Matthew Kachuk and the Calgary Flames when he flipped the puck and Muzzin came after him and right. there was not a whole lot of people that were coming to his aid. And I don't know if, he, you know, you look at that, and for me personally, I look at that and say, what happened to that team for a while after that? They were in disarray. You know, Matthew Kachuk needs to play that way. He has to be on the edge and he has to play that way. But you have to have the backing of your team, too. You have to have the backing of your team where they're ready to get into that fight with you. Sometimes you can drag them into the fight. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can become a distraction for your team, too. There's no question about that. If you start to do things on a regular basis where it's like, whoa, you need to slow things down a little bit here because you're just you're making it more about yourself than the game. Um, I saw the hit. I, I, I personally didn't. It was a fluky fall by Ryan Reeves. That's, that, that's a... That's a position right there that Ryan Reeves, 999 times out of 1,000 times, he's not getting hurt on that play. He's just not getting hurt. Yeah. It was just the way his leg caught underneath him. Mm-hmm. I truly do think it was a fluky kind of flip ball at the end. And this is a guy that runs around usually amongst the hit leaders, if not the hit leader in the National Hockey League when he plays. So I think he understands the physical aspect of the game. But, yeah, that's, a, that's an entirely different situation when if it's an individual player they're not coming to protect – that could be a sign of things, a riff inside the room or something like that. I'm wow. not going to sit here and presume that. I'm just saying that that's something to keep an eye on. I just think it's a young team, though. I look at the New Jersey Devils. They're in a rebuild. They've got a lot of young guys that are trying to fight for jobs, mixing some guys in, sure. in there that can do veteran roles. And you know what? They're still trying to figure out their game. But I do believe that if you want to be successful, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're a team that went out and did what? They went out and got tougher. They got more physical. They protected their stars, and they play that type of hockey any way you want to play. You want to play it offensive? Great. You want to get nitty-gritty? No problem. Well, and you make a, an excellent point about a little bit of a, a, a telling tale of sometimes how certain guys feel about their teammates. Uh, uh, early 90s, I'm with the Washington Capitals, and we got this new hot shot uh, coming from Europe named Peter Bondra. And he's loving life, and he's running all over the place. And then a few big guys start chasing him around, and he's staring at me and Alan May, like, do something about it. And we're like, well, first of all, stop spearing everybody, you know? <laughs> just just start yeah. there. Before I come and help you, keep your stick down. I don't know what you were doing overseas, but this is the NHL, and these guys want your head on a platter if you're going to act like that. Oh, Kipper, I was so by one of my first training camps in New York, Sergei Nemchinov, who became a 30-goal scorer in the league and one of the best two-way players, just a great defensive forward, but could score too. He steps on the ice, and he absolutely steamrolls Kenny Baumgartner. And I mean blows him up. And he comes back to the bench, and I look at him and go, do you realize what you just did? Like this, you re- He's going to be looking for you now. Like He's not just going to let that go. And sure enough, I ended up fighting Kenny Baumgartner. But I'm like, you realize the, the pressure you're putting under me, but I guess that's the role we played. That's what you yeah. had to do. But he was oblivious to the fact that he just blew up one of the tougher guys in the league. I loved it about him, but at the same time, you're like, you better watch that because eventually he's going to get redemption on you one way or another. Well, it's it's going to be uh, a little. Uh, it'll be fun to watch because we do know that uh, every game matters. The intensity, uh, points, who misses the playoffs, who makes it, 
uh, really can come down to a, a game in October or November now. So let's hope that uh, that intensity sticks with us uh, throughout the season. Hey, Louie, thanks for doing this, pal. Yep. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Louie. All right. Louis DeBrus from Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet. Got, uh, I love so him. Good. Oh, no, I love him because he could he could talk a, a pit bull off a meat wagon. Sometimes you just <laughs> sit back, just listen to Louis. That's our segment now for listening to Louis on the Real like Kipper that. and Bourne Show. All right, listen, we teed it up at the top, JB. The mm-hmm. Leafs, the PK. And JB, before we get going on that, just. Just a little bit of a follow-up on our conversation the other day because people like send me notes and going, "Are am I crazy? I wanted Mitch Marner now to play center, and what are you going to do with Matthews and and Tavares?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I said mm-hmm. that when this whole thing started, I would have had probably Mitch at, at center ice." Uh, even before they signed Tavares. That was the basis of that conversation. So we cool on that? Well, yeah. You know what? Uh, I was talking with Sam, um, our producer Sam there before the show. He sent me an article. Let me read you this. This is uh, Mitch Marner talking to Ben Annis and George Russick on Sportsnet Fan 590's morning show. Mitch Marner says uh, about that the Toronto Maple Leafs management envisioned him as an NHL center. That's what Mark Hunter told me, Marner told Russick and Ennis. He wants me playing center in a few years, so that's what I've got to start working on. How's that for validation, Kipper? (laughs) And whose ass is no longer with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Mark Uh, Hunter's. That would be Mark Hunter. That would be Mark Hunter. Yeah. So the, it's not it, it wasn't insane. It was part of what uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. had in mind for him when he originally got drafted here. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm also a believer, uh, Justin, that once the once the puck drops, there is no per se left winger, center, or right winger. Right. There's just three guys up there creating, cycling, changing lanes, left to right, lateral movement. We know how the guys play now today, so. Again, Mitch Marner comes in and uh, and does his magic, whether or not he lines up uh, on a hash mark or, or takes a face off. But the conversation now has gone into a penalty kill. And, and the one thing that uh, has been abundantly clear is how much the Leafs have counted on Mitch Marner on the penalty kill. And mm-hmm. I'm watching... The playoffs last year in that first round, and you know the the one thing that I think just did not get enough attention on was the minutes, particularly for Mitch Marner, who isn't like you have stated a big strong guy. I mean he's he's coming into his own with with his training and, and getting heavier and maturing, but he'll never be seen as that big heavy guy. And the minutes throughout the playoffs, and I think in the in the two overtime games, he's up around 27 to maybe even 30 on one. I don't know if he reached 30 or not, but those are far too many minutes for, for Mitch Marner. And they've been tacked on because of the ask on the penalty kill, Justin. Mm-hmm. So 
now we're starting to hear more names. And I, for one, would welcome Sheldon Keefe to alleviate those minutes, especially those hard penalty killing minutes for, for Mitch Marner. So is the answer now Willie Nylander? Well, it's, it is an interesting question. You're looking at last season's PK leaders for this Toronto Maple Leafs team, Zach Hyman. Uh, you know, he, he was almost two minutes a game shorthanded. So that's a, those are big penalty killing minutes are going to need to, to replace. Not to mention that the PK wasn't any good last year. You know, this is a team that was in the top of the, the league in a ton of categories. I think they were 23rd in the NHL in PK percentage and, um, you know, below 80%. So they, they got some work to do. So I understand that they're looking for different options. But when I hear something like Willie Nylander as a potential one, uh, Sam, uh, let's run that clip here of what Sheldon had to say about Willie Nylander because we can, we can jump off talking about it from there. We're looking at it. You know, we're, we're, we're trying him there. Uh he played. He penalty killed in the first game as well that he played with us here. He's he's penalty killed throughout camp. Uh, penalty killed, you know, when we played the blue light game the other day. So it's something we we're we're, we're trying here. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of growth in Will's game through the second half of last season, through the playoffs, uh, his commitment defensively, and when he when he's when he's uh, focused and committed like like he was. Um, you start to see his instincts uh, that he has and the good stick that he has and strong, strong hands, strong stick um, and the quickness to be able to jump and replays. Okay. Two things I got out of that. Okay. The good and the bad. You want the good or the bad first? (laughs) Let's go good first. Okay. Good first. Pushed harder last year. And I, Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I did. I, I, I the eye test. You can't ever fail the eye test, and he did push harder. It looked like he was, Sheldon said, more committed, and I did see that in the playoffs and towards the latter part of the season. I, I, I think it's he warrants a chance to to show more for sure. Now the bad. When he's focused, <laughs> when, when he's focused. <laughs> yeah. And again, we like to do this on Real Kipper and Born. We like to say what he was really saying. And what he was really saying is, and when he's not focused, he's driving me nuts. Yeah. It was actually, that's that's the most non-committed Sheldon can sound to anything. He's like, yeah, we're looking at it. That's, you know, yeah. he's, well, that's <laughs> like, something we're going to kind of give like some a, run to here. Like a guy walking through a used car parking lot and he's just like kicking the tires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like he did not seem that all in um, to, to have an old Willie in the PK. There's there's a reality, and we can't. People get mad when you talk about Willie Nylander because they they think he's been painted with a a brush that he's a certain way, and you know. So we assume he's whatever. You know what the narrative around the guy is? Look, the fact is he doesn't want to block shots. That's not what Willie wants to do. And if you want to kill penalties, you have to be willing to stand in the shooting lane. Now, I can't speak to you, Kipper, but one of my greatest strengths is not getting hit by pucks from the point. I am elite at almost (laughs) blocking shots. It can brush my shin pads. I can, like, just reach out and poke it but not quite get it. 
It hurts to block shots. I didn't kill penalties. Willie's the same way. He's so good at almost getting in the way but not being able to because he's not sincerely making efforts to block shots. So I don't see any way he ends up in the penalty kills. You, you have to be more willing than he is. Well, the Leafs need somebody to step up. So is it Mikheyev? Is it Nylander? But just to kind of bring it a little back, they need somebody to take those minutes off of Mitch Marner. So if we constantly look at the Leafs' ice time, you'd almost see most often than not, Justin, that uh, Matthews and Marner are pretty equal on on most games. But we also know that Austin doesn't kill penalties, and Mitch does. So if they're almost equal in overall ice time, That means Matthews is playing a lot more even strength and power play minutes. And if you think Mitch can can score and and lead the team in scoring, see see how many additional points he's going to get if you take those penalty minutes off of him, penalty killing minutes off of him, and you add them to the even strength or, or power play. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm looking, it does, because now you're saying play him the same minutes, but just make his minutes not so taxing. So I'm looking at the time on ice spent shorthanded uh, for forwards last year for the Leafs, and Mitch Marner is far and away, you know, the leader in ice time shorthanded. Uh, the other top names are Ilya Mikheyev, Alexander Kerfoot, Zach Hyman. And Zach Hyman. There, and so I, I, yeah. Zach Hyman probably Spez was. Spez is uh, next, by the way. Even with, were they close to Marner? No, Hyman was thirty minutes behind him. Sorry, 20, 25 minutes behind him in terms of twenty-five. Total okay, and, and but on, so on average, yeah. on average, probably yeah, pretty close. Yeah, it's no, probably actually, within well, twenty seconds a game. Twenty seconds, but you know, I can figure that out. That's that's another thing that I don't think was brought up enough. That... Exact same. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. You. Okay, exact same. Okay, minute, minute uh, fifty-eight each. There you go. There you go. And yeah, I think I'm going to reference all or nothing the whole season, by the way. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're going to, yeah, we should. So when, when, uh, when Marner's in the office with Kyle Dubas and, you know, that's where kind of maybe Mitch could step up and say, uh, if, if Sheldon didn't throw me out on every single penalty kill and I, uh, like I, I did. I, I killed penalties one year in Hartford, and it, it's exhausting. It is. Yeah. Stops it's and starts. Stops and starts, man. And it's for a minute and a half sometimes, and it takes so much out of you. There is no question in my mind for game seven, Mitch Marner's tank was empty. Empty. Yeah. He they, they, they squeezed every last drop out of him. And if they can alleviate a little bit more on the PK and keep them fresher throughout the regular season, then now you got a chance for for a better result in a game seven. Yeah. You know, so you need uh, Pierre Engvall to find himself as a PK, PK guy. You need... Michael Bunting seems like a guy who could kill penalties. I mean, I, I don't know if he killed much when he was in Arizona. Uh, a quick glance, uh, no, he did not. So, you know, I don't know if that's something he could take on. 
Maybe Willie can do it too. One of the things I will say about Willie as a PK guy is the complaints right now are that Nylander doesn't play enough. He averaged 16 minutes and a half last game or last year. Well, Marner's playing 22 and a half. So maybe there's some way you can get him some more minutes. As I said, I don't think he's a natural fit, but the, there's some other guys on the team who have to make that part of their identity and, and their value to this team. You know, Kerfoot and Spezza have to really own those roles if that's where they're going to find extra ice time. Our good buddy uh, Brian Burke has gone on record about a gazillion times how he would never have his star players out, out in a PK uh, scenario. And it's not my first thought, but there there is some value now. He's if his if his angle is worrying about a broken bone, mine would be it is it is very taxing. Now if if you think that you can create some offense, and I think that they are encouraged to 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 create offense, and if they are that's even more taxing opposed to just shooting it down the ice every time. Uh, but th- there is, there is some, some value in thinking that uh, maybe you do want your meat and potato guys out there a little bit more often than your big boys. Yeah. I never loved it when Sedin, the Sedins were going to do it for Tortorella in Vancouver. I was like, what are we doing here, fellas? I'm not sure that made a lot of sense. Uh, I want to make sure we have enough time. I don't know if you have more on that, but do we have time for useful or useless? Is this a good time for that? Useful or useless. Now, when they told me way back uh, about you and, you know, the thought that you are a little bit of an anal idiot. <laughs> As yeah. my good friend Glenn Healy once said on Hockey Night in Canada, but I would never use That's that. I'm just, I just no, brought that up no, to no. drop his name down, of course. But when you are a bit of an, a guy that likes the numbers and crunches the numbers, and I said, okay, am I going to get useful stuff or useless stuff? And now you're presenting me with an addition at the Real Kipper and Born Show with useful or useless. So let yeah. her rip. All right, buddy. So I'm going to present a few things to you here uh, that I came across in my stat mining, and you can tell me, useful or useless. First one, the Leafs' highest expected goals guy, so guy who's on the ice for the most expected goals, and uh, is the same person who's on the ice for the most expected goals against, and his name is Morgan Riley. Is that useful to you or useless? 100% useless <laughs> absolutely useless it now, is. can i ask you something yes okay. of course when did the word expected ever come into a nhl dressing room like where where is the value of expected if i'm now it's... in my general manager's office and I'm negotiating a deal. Can I go to him? I want 5 million bucks a year because I expected to score 30 goals and have 200 penalty minutes. And I didn't, but (laughs) I was expected. That means something like where, where, why? Like expected. Sam Hinkie. But you don't, but, but it never comes true or it it just, 
it, it never comes to fruition. It, uh, it dies on the vine. It's like, I only deal in, in real. What is the raw numbers? Right. Why do I right. want expected? You want expected because Sam Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers had processed, right? Trust the process. Process over results. If the process is there, then the results will come. That's sports now. Process over results. And this is about process. They measure... You know, shots from certain distance go in with this frequency and from this spot on the ice, they go in with that frequency. And if you take shots from all these places that often, it's expected that your output will be X, Y, or Z. Now, and how's that working for Mikheyev on his breakaways? Oh, well, that's a great, great, great example. It's probably the perfect example of where it can go wrong. He's not a finisher. So I don't care if he gets 20 shots. Kyle Dubas turn around and say, Hey, I expect you to miss. Is, <laughs> does it work that way too? There. Yeah, well, and that's that's the part of using it for context where a guy can say, I get a ton of chances. The thing is, I think it's valuable when you say, hey, Mitch Marner's expected goals against the Montreal Canadiens was actually very high or very low. And actually, I, I don't think it was good. But like sometimes you can say, it just didn't go in for me. Like he's a good finisher. I played a good game. I got chances. Usually I finished tonight. I didn't. You can point to expected goals and say, you know, normally if you if I get all those chances in a game, I'm usually so, going to score goals. Tonight it didn't go in. So it's it's just not good enough that that uh, Kyle said to Marner in his meeting, uh, uh, you're getting chances and leave it at that. Right? We we need. We need something else to make us look a little bit more important. And that, you that, had that 22. is your... expected goals per 60 there. Mitch <laughs> I mean, yeah. So there is uh, still though in that one, it's like, all right, Riley's a high event guy, right? He's on the ice for a lot for and a lot against. So it does tell you some sort of a story, whether it's useful or not that I don't know. Here's something I got a curveball for you that I bet you, right. you would not see coming. The Toronto Maple Leafs were first in the NHL last year in rebound chances four. Can you believe that? Does that shock you? That's from Sport Logic. Is, it, is that useless? Uh, no, no. Uh, no, I, 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 I buy that one. That, that one's useful to me for sure because there, there is a pattern there and uh, they, did, they did find a way to get pucks to the net and they, they did find a way to get second and third chances and uh, Hyman and Tavares are excellent around six feet of the net and you want to put them in a position to succeed and, and have good looks. And those that's where their good looks are, are the best. So yeah, that one, that one I buy that one, that one I could use. That one is useful. Good. Okay. Well, this is good because yeah. we're we're gonna have some sport logic uh, data on the show this year. Um, we've got a little arrangement with them. Uh, one of them that I do think you'll think is interesting and in telling about the defense, but I shouldn't speak too soon. This is up to you. Uh, they were they were one of the they're in the bottom of the league, the bottom third anyway of the NHL in um, four checking chances against, which is to say that when the D went back on breakouts, they ended up giving up scoring chances, turning over pucks. And, and giving up chances at their own net. Uh, would you have known that with the eye test, or is that something you need a stat to tell you? No, that, that's that's eye test. Uh, yeah. I mean, you get clean breakouts, good good looks, good first pass. 
I mean, three out of four good looks on breakouts, and then you have the bad one. You can always go back and just revisit that with certain players on maybe your 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 toes weren't up, you were facing the wrong way, uh, your stick wasn't ready. Um, but you know, I mean, how long how long do you want this data to collect before you get to go into the room and go knock it off? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's a great question. That's I a great need part to of coaching. See it once or twice, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, we used it uh, for so like the analytics department would give the coaching staff a report, and you know you got some numbers in green and some numbers in red where you're good and you're bad. And for me as the video coach, I would then go, "All right, well, you know we're giving up four checking chances against. You know they're four checking us, and they're getting chances a ton. Uh, you know this is now I'm going to go look at the video and say, hey, it turns out it's Justin Hall every time, and that's why our numbers are this. That was not the case, but I'm just saying." I think that's how you could use the data to then go in the room and go, Halsey, it's you. You're killing us. You know, you can kind of use it to make that next coaching step. All right. I think we got through the show today, pal. We survived. I, 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 I battled a little bit. I got to be honest with you. I'm set up here at home and, you know, everything's great. And the power goes out. Yeah. <laughs> Last second curveballs when you're doing this stuff from, from completely remotely. in black. Where did I do the majority of the show? In my car. <laughs> is it in my Zuzu backyard? Trooper? In my backyard. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Well, yeah. it worked out. We can hear you just fine. We we worked it out just fine, man. We we grinded today. We were like fourth liners today, just grinding. No, all stops and starts on the PK, pal. Yep. All right, listen, thanks everybody for tuning in. Real Kipper and Bourne right back at you tomorrow.